you have your Bible or your tablet or phone, if you'll grab that for me. We're going to be in a couple of places this morning, so if you would, turn to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, and as you're turning there, um, pray that you'll join me in prayer. God, thank you again for this opportunity. Thank you, God, that um, you've brought us all together, that we've just celebrated a great victory, only to be found in Jesus Christ. Now, Father, as we open your word, we pray that you would uh, eliminate distractions, that uh, you would allow us to hear in a very clear way, that you would... Take my words and use them in such a way that is miraculous, that they will, they will impact the way they're intended to impact. Not for our glory, not for my glory, but for your glory alone. Thank you for your presence here this morning. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Uh, bad news for those of you who are looking for um, some kind of new message this morning. I don't have a new message for you. I'll just kind of let you in on the last couple of weeks as I was preparing for today. Um, what would I share with you? What would I encourage you with? What would I challenge you with? My initial thought was to go to the letters of John You know the text that talks about be warned about false prophets, false teachers, test the spirits. You guys know that text, right? And I began to prepare. Let me let me let you in, if you will, on on how it happens for me, at least. I mean, there's a lot of different ways to create a sermon, to listen to God, and to pray through a sermon. But uh, typically, what I do is I know what I'm going to preach the following Sunday. Um, I'm off on Mondays, and so on Tuesday, because I already know what I'm going to preach, I'm, I'm heavy into the text. And I've been into the text, I've, I've looked at the text a couple times the week previous, just on a surface level though, mind you. And so on Tuesday, I kind of set out an overview and a, a simple outline, if you will, um, on, on what that sermon, at least in my mind, is going to look like. For the last 20 years, there's been, I can count on one hand, um, times that God has said, not so fast. Do something different. And that's, that's been this, this as well. Um, I had intentions of looking at the test of spirits, beware of false teaching. But that's not what God wants me to share with you today. Um, I want to look back at, at something that I think is, in a sense, it's very simple, and in another sense, it's extremely difficult. The last couple of years, we've set out to do three things, and I think there's a lot of things that are encompassed in these three things. Love God, love people, and love by going. 
Well, this morning I want to talk to you about those three things. I'm going to take the liberties, if you'll allow me to, to change the third one. But let's talk about what it means to love God. If you'll take a look with me at, at Mark chapter 12, I can't think of a better thing to look at than the words of Jesus himself. So Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 28, and it reads this way. One of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, he asked Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? That, that seems like a pretty fair question, right? I mean, you ought to know the most important commandment. If we could narrow it down for the Jews of the ancient Near East, or if we could narrow it down to, you know, we're always about simplifying things, if we could, if we could just, just give me the quick fix, just give me the, just, just, just summarize it for me, right? Um, give me the cliff notes for the book. That way I don't have to read the whole book. These are scribes, mind you. These are intelligent people. These are people who, ha who have a relationship not only with God in their mind, they have a relationship with the synagogue, with the, with the, with the Jewish people, right? With they may even know the chief priest, or at least the family of the chief priest. These are, these are people that are upper echelon in the ancient Near East. These are scribes. They're not what we've talked about with Mary and Joseph, the Anawim. They're not on the bottom of the pecking order. These are the, the top of the top, right? These are Jewish people who would know their scriptures. Fair enough? And the question is asked of Jesus, hey, if you could summarize it all for us. We've been hearing that you're the Messiah. We've seen you do miraculous things. We're beginning to perhaps believe that you have something special. But if you could just do us one favor and summarize it all for us, what's the greatest commandment? Right? Mind you, ten commandments or ten words, the Decalogue in Exodus chapter 20 or in Deuteronomy 6 have been changed into 613 laws. Or the religious people. Now notice what Jesus says. Jesus answered the most important is the Shema. If you look back at Deuteronomy chapter 6, you'll recognize the Shema. You'll recognize that this is the first thing you know as a Jewish young child growing up. And he's going to confirm for them what they've been taught but he's going to expand upon that teaching. So at least the first part is not a big surprise for them. He answers the most important thing is this. Hear, O Israel. Hear, O people of God. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. In the Hebrew, um, there's a there's an article that's missing in the English. So we could say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one. You hear what I'm saying? So he's not like the Baal. He's not like Molech. He's not like Asherah. He's not like all these idols that people worship. No, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one. He is the God of gods. Jesus is the Lord of lords. 
There is no other. Does that make sense? Everybody understand, right? Therefore, and he keeps going, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That verse 30 is pretty difficult, isn't it? I mean, if you really think about it, Jesus summarizes everything that's included for us in the Old Testament and New Testament I would offer to you as well. But to summarize the Scriptures by saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, it seems very elementary to me. It seems very simple to say those things but when we begin to understand what they mean, it takes it to a whole nother level. So this morning, several of us were meeting over here um, behind this wall, and, and I had a couple of questions, and we were talking about intentionality. And, because I think, and you guys can correct me if you've experienced something different, but I think that we have often good intentions, but we have very little follow-through. Fair? Right, we set out to make it to from point A to point B, but we never make it to point B because we never left A or we get diverted. So, think with me outside the box for a second, outside of Christianity, outside the Scriptures, outside of just, a, just an easy example of that, right? Um... We're quick to see the faults in others. We're quick to see the flaws in others. But we're less... Can you turn me down just a little bit, brother? Um, we're less prone to see the same faults in ourselves. Um, I don't know if you've been keeping up with the news or uh, recent things about ADD, Attention Deficit Disorder, or uh, hyperactivity, ADHD, right? So, so for some reason, and, and we're, I'm not going to debate what the reason is, um, but for some reason there's been this diagnosis about ADD or ADHD that's just been on the rise the last couple of decades. You follow what I'm saying? And I'm thinking, well, how does that apply in the spiritual world? Uh, well, I've got good intentions. I'm, I'm going to have these great plans. Oh, look, uh, a bird. squirrel, whatever it is for you, right? Whatever distraction it is for you. And I'm a big believer that Satan just doesn't go, stop, stop growing. No, he, he convinces us there's something over here that might be a little bit better. You hear what I'm saying? In other words, he's not going to fight fair. He's not going to say, hey man, come follow me or be on my team. No, but you, you figure out you're not as devoted as you once thought you were. So you set out with good intentions, and yet there's this distraction. This is pothole. I'm from New Mexico, so you guys know what potholes are, right? Some of you are from McKinney. You know what potholes are. Or Farmersville or Anna or whatever. Um, there's these distractions. There's these things that cause us concern, and all of a sudden we're not headed to where we once thought we were headed to. We're way off. And it just takes a little bit to get off track. 
So we've got to recalibrate, right, over and over and over and over. So let me offer this question to you. What does it mean to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind? Some of you may be Texas Hold'em fans. This is, this is what we mean by all in. Or when you get in the baptistry, this is what we mean by, are you, are you, you understand what you're doing, right? You're, you're dying to self, and you're rising to walk, not in your own power anymore, but in the power of Jesus Christ, the righteousness that you could never attain to. But the good news is, the gospel is, he's already done it for you. You follow? So what does it mean? I, I mentioned just briefly in this group over here this morning that I, I, I'm a firm believer as well that there's a lot of people that have attached themselves to the institution but not necessarily to Jesus. What I mean by that is there's a lot of church members but they're not followers of Jesus. Make sense? We could debate that if we need to, but I, I, I really believe that there's a lot of people that are going to find themselves in Matthew 28 being with the goats rather than the sheep. I don't want you to be that way, and I don't want to be that way. And I think part of the role of the church, well, the Greek word is ekklesia, the called out ones. You hear that? This is not just to go along to get along. The ecclesia, the called out ones, means we're supposed to be different than the world. We live in the world. We're not living in a monastic society, right? We don't separate ourselves from the world in a sense. And yet, although we live in the world, we are different than the world. Is that making sense to anybody? See, I think this attachment to the church, I think this attachment to the institution or this institute or this this attachment to organized religion is we gather and we sing a few songs and the words even that we've known for ever mean nothing to us anymore or somebody gets up and reads from psalm 46 and we all know especially verse 10 where it says be still and know that I am God We've all heard that before, but it doesn't mean what it should mean to us anymore. Or when we hear somebody describe the, the crucifixion, the Romans were professional about crucifixion. And if there's, if, there, if there's something that Satan can do to make those, those things not mean as much as they should, he's going to do everything in his power. Right? Another example would be you open your, your text, you open your scripture, if you open it during the week. Um, perhaps you, you read a few words and you, you get distracted or you get, you get oh, I've got to do, do my grocery list, I've got to do this, I've got to do that, I've got to do it. If you're not aware of spiritual warfare, you need to be aware of spiritual warfare because it's alive and well. And Satan will try to convince you that you have so many other things to do other than loving God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. Yes? It's not just me, right? So this is more than just religion. This is more than just following the Decalogue. It's more than following the 613 laws. Let me, 
Think with me for just a second. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, you've heard that it was said, do not murder, but I tell you, and he goes on to define what it means to murder. You've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery, and then he goes on to ratchet up the meaning of what it means to be unfaithful. Do you hear what he's doing? And it's not just the Sermon on the Mount, it's throughout his three and a half years of public ministry. That, that's why the Jews don't like Jesus very much. Do you understand what I'm saying? The, the scribes, the people who should know, and yet Jesus tells them they're far from God. One of my challenges to you, to you this morning, when you talk about loving God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, is not to measure the way the world measures. If you're going to compare yourself to anybody, and, and trust me, I'm a big, I, I fall time and time again when I compare myself to other people. And if we're going to compare ourselves to anyone, it should be about Jesus Christ. My challenge is to you to think about what Jesus means by loving God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. It will change your life, literally. Your priorities will be different. The distractions won't be so obvious. I'm reminded of people that say, well, I can't, I can't memorize Scripture. No, it's not that you can't, it's that you won't. I, I know that sounds pretty harsh. But it's true. Love God with all your heart. That changes how you spend your time. That changes how much you give grace to people. Because if God has given you grace, you're going to give grace. The second is this, he says in verse 31. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other greater commandment than these. Notice the scribe asked Jesus, hey, summarize it for us. Tell us the one thing. Jesus is not stopping at one thing. Jesus just doesn't say, love God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your mind. But he says, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your, love your fellow man. The scribe said to him, you're right, teacher. <laughs> Isn't that some irony there? This is a scribe, this is a religious people telling Emmanuel, telling God in the flesh that he's right. Well, of course he's right. To love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than the whole of burnt offerings and sacrifices. Or in the Old Testament we're told, God doesn't want your sacrifices anymore. He wants you. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask Jesus any more questions. It's what it means to love God. The second thing we've talked about over the last couple of years has been to love others. Turn with me, if you will, if you have your Bible open to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. As you're turning there, this word neighbor, love your neighbor as yourself. For a Jew, who was their neighbor, right? It's pretty easy to love those people that are easy to love. 
um, our family members, the people that are like us. But for a Jew, the neighbor was the Samaritan. The neighbor was the mixed breed. The neighbor was the dogs. The neighbor was the Gentiles. And Jesus is redefining love in their minds. So can I ask you to consider this question? Are you, maybe you're loving God. Maybe you got that figured out. Are you, are you loving your brother? Are you loving others? Are you loving your fellow man? This, of course, is the Great Commission, Matthew 28, beginning in verse 16. Now the 11 disciples, notice, disciples, followers of Jesus, they went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Of course, this is after the crucifixion, of course, and the resurrection, mind you. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. We know this is the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. You know, some of us have been really good. I say some of us. Some of us in the Restoration Movement, in the Independent Christian Church, or the Disciples of Christ Church, or the Non-Instrumental Church. Some of us have been really good about getting people into baptistry. But we're not really good about the second part of the command where it says make disciples. And maybe we're not so good about making disciples because we're not disciples ourselves. The Great Commission is something else that I think is a really, really difficult thing that Jesus says. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, because of this, do these things... Oh, and by the way, you're not doing them alone, right? The last part of what he says in verse 20 is, and I'm with you forever and ever and ever. The only way you're going to be successful is, behold, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. Wherever you go. This church has been very mission-minded, um, I think, since day one. I've read several church histories about Hillcrest and um, over and over again I see the the mission mindedness of the people um, going way back when they were selling virtually everything they had to have a church building before it was ever East McKinney and, I, and I've heard stories from East McKinney where the church was very mission minded and I'm going to assume, for the sake of conversation, that part of the reason for the move here in 87 and 88 was about, this is a better location, we're going to reach more people, etc., etc. I've seen records for years about missions and what we give to missions, and I've heard people like Mark Christoffel, who has a passion for missions, or Michelle Smith, or Hal York, or people that sit on this missions committee their passion for reaching the lost. Or Mickey Love, who gets up and tells us about a Chinese woman who is making an impact from Melissa, Texas, in China. The utter ends of the earth. But I think all too often, we as good church people in America think missions is just writing a check putting a check in the offering plate, and calling it missions. 
Did you hear the imperative? What I mean by imperative, it's not a suggestion, it's a command. Jesus says what? What's the imperative? Somebody said it over here. Go. It's go. No, I, you know, I, I can't do that. I, I'm not called to missions. Oh, I, I'm going to differ with you. You are called to missions. You may not be called to China. You may not be called to Germany. You may not be called, but you're called somewhere. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is not just for the disciples. You understand, right? This is for us. This is for the church. This is for the people of God. And God wouldn't call us to do anything that he's not willing to do himself. You hear that? One of the texts that I thought about sharing with you this morning is 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. Somebody check me on this, but it talks about this is how we know what love is. This is how we know what love is that God gave. And because God gave, that, that means he loved. Or we all know the gospel account, right? John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. We're also told in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, that we're created in God's image. Not just some of us, but all of us. Let us make man in our image, right? And it was so. He made us in his image. What does that mean? It means a couple of things, but it, also, it includes love. It includes, we have a choice to love. Will you love or will you not love? And we have misdefined missions. We have talked about love. We have good intentions about love by writing a check and sending it somewhere else and calling it love or calling it mission. I want to challenge you this morning to think of missions more broadly than that. Maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe it's your coworker that you know that nobody's ever having lunch with this person. Um, maybe... Maybe that's that point that you interact with them. Maybe it's a client. Maybe it's a family member. Chances are it's probably that person that you don't want it to be. You hear what I'm saying? I mean, most of us are okay with missions. Most of us are okay sharing the gospel with people that we really like or we really associate with. Or we resonate with them, or they resonate. There's some kind of connection. Most of us are pretty comfortable with that. But guess what? God doesn't intend for us to be comfortable. And all too often, the church is too comfortable. And so, missions is get out of your comfort zone and go do something about the gospel. There are many times that I've prayed at the end of a day and God has convicted me about a time where I should have said something I should have given my last dollar I should have stopped and helped somebody on the side of the roadway I don't know if that's your story or not but that's my, that's my story God has convicted me that I, I should have done something about but my prayer has been that those times get less frequent. You follow what I'm saying? That, that I see, that I see with spiritual eyes, that we've talked about the last couple of years a lot, that I see people the way God sees people. 
Even the people that are extra grace required. People that are hard to love. That are difficult. You know those people, right? Even those people. Because those are the people that we believe that for somebody else. That's your job. That's my job. Right? So what it means to go into all the world, go into places that you don't want to go, go to people that you don't want to associate with, go to the people that are may think of themselves as beyond God's grace. But it's the same gospel that saved you. It's the same good news that God has done in your life that those people need to hear. I mean, think with me for just a second. You don't, you don't have to say it out loud, but think with me for just a second. You know somebody in your life. You know somebody in your family. You know somebody where you associate with, whether, it, whether it's Bill Smith's or whether it's your workplace or wherever you happen to go throughout the week. You know somebody who is looking for hope and the problem is, is they don't know where hope is to be found. And guess what? Your role, your task as a follower of Jesus is to tell them about hope. It's not their spouse. It's not their work. It's not their bank account. All those things just kind of go away, right? It's about Jesus. It's always all about Jesus. And we've become so comfortable. We've become so laissez-faire. We've become so quesarasera. What will be, will be. God will do what He wants to do. Guess what? He wants to use you. He wants to use me. Okay, those are the first two challenges. One more, right? Love God. Love people. And here's the liberty that I'm going to take with a third one. Oftentimes we say... Love by going. I'm going to change that a little bit this morning. Is that okay? Love God, love people. Here's the third one. Now prove it. You say you love God. Okay, show me. How does your, how does your scheduling, how does your, how does your life right, prove that you love God? Has your priorities changed? Are you in a Bible study? Are, are, you, are you pouring into others? Are you allowing yourself to be poured into are you serving? Because if you're a follower of Jesus, you have a spiritual gift. Serve in some way. Worship God the way God intends for you to worship. Get out of your comfort zone. Don't worry about what anybody else thinks. Worry about what God thinks. Are you loving people? Well, I, I write a check every once in a while. I I went and sang at a nursing home. I went and sat with somebody that nobody else wanted to sit with. I, I provided something for somebody. Oh, that's all great. Are you doing it for the right reasons? Are your motivations pure? I mentioned to you that we've been created in God's image. It's amazing to me to think that God, knowing full well who I am and what I will do, chooses to create me, number one, chooses to allow me to live, number two, and chooses to allow me to interact with the world, number three. There's many more things, but you understand what I'm saying. 
That's an immense amount of love. I can't even begin to fathom that kind of love. And, and that's the same love He has for you. And that's the same love He has for the world. Many of them don't know it, and many of them are blind to it, Mike, right? We talked about that. They, they've got to be willing to see it. They've got to be willing to receive it. But, but those nexus points, those connection points, those places where we intersect, our intersections intersect with their life, that's a place that we need to be responsive to. We need to hear God when He gives us ministry opportunities. We need to see ministry opportunities. Are you praying for ministry opportunities? There's a marketing thing out right now. I'm, I'm almost done. There's a marketing thing out right now in church marketing, and it's called The One. Pray for your one. Who's that one? Again, maybe it's your family member. Maybe it's your coworker. Maybe it's a person on your block. Maybe it's a person on your floor. Who's the one that God intends for you to interact with and say, you know what, I'm going to share the gospel with them. I'm going to ask them to come to church with me next week. I'm going to ask them to join a Bible study that I'm passionate about. Who's the one? And if you don't know that one, if you don't know that one, that's a problem, right? I guarantee you, if you pray for ministry opportunities, if you pray for ministry opportunities, if you pray that God would give you eyes to see, ears to hear, if you pray that your path would intersect with somebody else's path, guess what? You better be ready because God's going to answer that prayer. God loves you not so that you could hoard that love. God loves you so that you could love others. God enlarges, prayer of Jabez, anybody? God enlarges your territory, guess what? So you can enlarge somebody else's territory. God gives you the gospel so that you could share the gospel. You follow what I'm saying? We are simply conduits, church, to what God has already done. And I'm grateful that he's merciful that oftentimes it gets a kink in it right here. And it goes no farther. But I'm not willing to just say or have good intentions by saying, I'm going to love God, I'm going to love people, but only when it's comfortable. Or only if it's people that I really like. Or only if it's people like me. Or if, only if they follow certain rules. Or only if if it's really all about God, right? Then He gets to decide. We don't. So my challenge to you this morning, my challenge to you, my challenge to myself. Let's not just be persons with good intentions. Let's follow through. What are we going to do about loving God with all our heart, our soul, our strength, our mind? What are we going to do about loving our neighbor as ourselves? If we've been equipped with the Holy Spirit, and we have, how does that change our life? How does that change our world? How does that change our neighborhood? How does that change our schools? How does that change wherever we happen to go? And it's the same people in here next year, and we're all looking at each other, and we're going... I know I should, but I don't. God, forgive us. Let's pray. Father, for your word, for the gospel, for the good news, 
that transcends the world, that transcends flesh, that transcends sin, that calls us out of our comfort zone and calls us to interact with a dirty, filthy, rotten world. Help us to be humble enough to recognize, God, that we are just that filthy, just that dirty, those people that are unlovable, and yet you've loved us anyway. And forgive us, God, when we have written people off. Allow us to see, allow us to hear, allow us to love as you love and see and know. Help us not just be intentional or about having good intentions, but help us to have a follow through. Thank you for your grace, your unmatched love, your mercy, and another chance today and tomorrow to affect the world around us, not because of who we are, but because of whose we are. We give you the honor and the glory in Christ's name.